Please stand for the reading of the scripture. Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Okay, good morning to everyone. So I'm going to start out this morning uh, extending my uh, congratulations to the Cleveland Browns. This is not, not actually for their win on Thursday, I, which was good. I actually want to congratulate the Browns on what they were able to do last Sunday against the New York Jets because it was, it was really extraordinary. Um, the Browns were able to do what from the outside almost looks impossible. With a minute and 55 seconds left in the game, the Browns were up 30 to 17. Okay, you don't have to know very much about football to know that if you're up 13 points with less than two minutes to go, the game is over. Okay? You basically can't lose it at this point. In fact, for 2,229 consecutive NFL games, when a team has been leading by at least 13 points in the final two minutes, they've gone on to win the game. Okay, you'd have to go all the way back to 2001 to find an example of a team actually losing in the last two minutes when the lead was that big. It would be the Cleveland Browns. But last Sunday, the Browns did it. Somehow, against all odds, the Browns were able to do what no team, maybe then except for themselves, is able to do. They lost to the Jets. So I want to begin this morning by congratulating Cleveland Browns and their fan base. Something in you, if you're a Browns fan, should be saying, Matthew, you must be very confused right now because that is not the way it works. You've got it completely backwards. You're calling a failure a success. You're calling losers winners, and you're calling blessed what is to be scorned and perhaps pitied. When Jesus launches into this Sermon on the Mount, the first word out of his mouth is blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. It's not a, it's not a bad way to start a sermon. It, I'll be honest, it probably doesn't do a whole lot to you and, I, you and me. We've heard this sermon so many times. It's lost any kind of surprise probably that should be there. But to the original audience that's listening to the sermon, to these disciples that we said are gathered up on this mountain, the, the crowd that's eavesdropping, maybe the, 
person on the second row that's about to nod off, all of a sudden, Jesus has got their attention. Okay? And they think, you know, it's either Jesus is misreading his notes on his sermon or he's badly confused about how life works. Because Jesus is blessing, he's congratulating the wrong kind of people. He's congratulating these people that are circled around him up on this mountain. And, and he's confused because nobody would confuse these guys for the influencers of the day, for the elite, for the spiritual heroes of the day. These are fisher folk. These are peasants. These guys, uh, they did the wrong kind of work. They, they eked out a living on a fishing boat. They had the wrong kind of accent. When these guys talked, you're like, oh, these are from the sticks of Galilee, these guys. They were on the wrong side of power. They were oppressed by the Roman Empire. They lived in an occupied territory. Okay, whatever word comes to your mind when you look at this scrappy little group of disciples around Jesus, the word is not blessed. And yet that's the first thing Jesus does. He blesses them. Last week we did, uh, if you were with us, we did what you're normally not supposed to do. We went to the very end of the sermon to start there. What we what we saw there was a parable about these two guys. One guy builds a house on sand. One guy builds a house on rock. Okay, you know the story. The house on the rock stands. The house on the rock, uh, the sand uh, crumbles. And the wise person is the one who hears Jesus' words and puts them into practice. And the foolish one is the one who hears the words and does not put them into practice. And so I asked you last week to spend some time reflecting on the question, am I willing as we move through this sermon, to do what Jesus says? Am I willing to, to put his commands, his words, into practice? And so I'm hoping you arrive today primed to do that. And we will get there. Like, there's going to be plenty of time in this series on the Sermon on the Mount where we will talk about commands, but we don't actually get that here. Okay, it's easy and understandable. I think I've usually, when I read the Beatitudes, I tend to read them as commands to me. Okay, these are, or at least ideals to strive for. So, you know, we read the Beatitudes and we think, I need to be poor in spirit. I need to be more humble. I need to be meek. I need to be merciful. But, but that's not actually what Jesus is doing here. Okay, this is going to be important for us this morning. Jesus is not giving commands. He's giving blessings. There's a difference, right? The word blessed here that Jesus uses again and again uh, in our passage in, in Greek is makarios, uh, which in Latin is beatitude. Beatitudo, so that's, that's where you get Beatitudes. Makarios is, is famously hard to translate. The people that know a lot more about this than I do will tell you there's really no one word in English that you can uh, translate Makarios. So most of the time, the translators will go with blessed, and that certainly captures part of the meaning. But the word blessed, you know, it, it um, let's be honest, like, at least in my mind, it's lost almost all meaning. Like, it's, it's, this is what came to my mind. It's tossed around like pizza dough on Friday night in the Mahoning Valley. Have you, have you ever seen how many pizza restaurants we have around here? I, one time I Googled ethnic food uh, in the area, and it pulled up pizza places. I thought, I've never forgotten that. It's tossed around a lot. Hashtag blessed. Too blessed to be stressed. Have a blessed day. Like, if I'm just totally honest, blessed, even when I use it, and I do, has almost no meaning to me. Okay? So that's the challenge we get with this word blessed. We're like, what does that even mean? 
Macarius is also sometimes translated happy. That's how Eugene Peterson does it in the message, I'm pretty sure. And that captures some of the meaning. But again, happy is not quite right because it's happiness is usually a, sub, a subjective feeling. It's something internally. You know, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling happy. But I don't think that fully captures, at least in all of the Beatitudes, what Jesus is getting at. Because he's not referring to a, a subjective feeling inside of you. Jesus is referring to something objective, something that's coming outside of you to the person. So here's what I think. For at least the, three, the first three Beatitudes, I think the best translation here is congratulations. Congratulations to the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Congratulations to those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I think this, this word congratulations helps us understand that, that something surprising is happening here. Jesus is congratulating a Browns fan after another debacle. He's congratulating that guy from Lordstown who just got laid off and doesn't know what he's going to do. He's congratulating that kid from school who's a little bit different and always seems to get picked on by all the other kids. And Jesus is saying, you know, you, the ones the world pities, the ones the world makes fun of, the ones maybe the world considers losers, congratulations. Because in God's eyes, you are blessed. Happy are you. This kingdom of mine, it belongs to you. When Jesus says poor in spirit, a lot of scholars believe that what he's talking about is a group of people called the Anawim. The Anawim were a, a group of Jewish people at the time of Jesus who were economically disadvantaged, so they were poor. Uh, but they were known to have this deep trust in God. And they hungered for a Messiah to come who would bring justice to the land. So think about, Luke's got some great examples of who might be Anna Weems. Simeon and Anna in Luke's gospel, and also probably Jesus' mother Mary. We talked about this last winter when we did the series on Mary. Uh, she was likely part of this Jewish group called the Anna Weem. Okay, let's think about Mary. She was poor. We know this because after Jesus was born, they go to the temple and she, they by the sacrifice they offer where we know she's poor. Incredibly vulnerable situation that Mary was in. She becomes pregnant as a teenager. Could have easily been divorced, which would have led to this you know, economic catastrophe for her and social catastrophe for her. Mary strikes us as humble. She has this deep trust in God, but she's also this tough woman. Her response to the angel Gabriel... Um, uh, about this, this idea of bearing the Savior of the world is this humble yet steely, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. And we know by the way Mary sang that she hungered for justice. She sang a song about the powerful being brought down low and the low being made high and lifted up. I think Mary is kind of the perfect example of someone who's poor in spirit, who, who on the outside looks like a nobody, but is actually the, the kind of person that God uses for his purposes. So Jesus looks around. He's, you know, we're up on the mountain. Jesus looks around at these disciples around him who probably look like nobodies, right? They would have been well familiar with economic insecurity. They would have been well familiar with being looked down upon, not just by Romans, but by the Jewish, their own Jewish people. And, and the first thing he does to this motley group of people is he says, congratulations. Congratulations. You know, in the eyes of the world, you're a nobody. But for me, in my kingdom, you will rule. Like, do you see how, how backwards this kingdom is of Jesus? 
I found myself this week thinking about um, a Bible study I was part of last winter up at a drug rehab center in, in PA led by Dane. Dane's preached here a couple times. You, most of you probably know who Dane is. And at this drug rehab center, I, there was uh, these men who had checked themselves in voluntarily for usually about 30 days. And so when I was with Dane, we went to this Bible study. The, the passage that he happened to be teaching on was from the Sermon on the Mount. And I remember at this, at this Bible study thinking, I've never been to a Bible study quite like this. I mean, these men showed up at this Bible study poor in spirit. You can imagine how humbling it must have been to reach the point where you're willing to walk away from your job, from your family, because you are so desperate to get drug rehab. There was no pretense in that room. There was no arrogance in that room. It's very different to show up on the, at, the, at the mountain and hear Jesus preach when things are going great in your life and when, when you have hit kind of the low point of your life. When you've hit that low point of your life, I think you're a little bit more open to hearing what Jesus has to say. And the thing that stuck out to me, too, was just the brutal honesty. Uh, we were on that time, the, uh, Jesus teaching on lust, and one of the guys was, said something like, I do that all the time. I didn't know you weren't supposed to do that. I thought that was so refreshing. How many times have you been at a Bible study and someone raised their hand and said, I do that all the time. I didn't even know I was supposed to do, not supposed to do that. There was this brutal honesty that was really refreshing. And I imagine Jesus walking into this drug rehab center in PA and looking at these guys and saying, congratulations. Society thinks you're a failure. People look at you with pity. But I say congratulations because you know what? You remind me of Peter. You remind me of Peter when he was at the low point of his life. And he was deeply humbled too. All Peter's pretenses had been stripped away. Peter knew at that time he sure didn't have it all figured out. And he knew he was desperate for something. And that's the kind of person I can use. This kingdom of God is so darn backwards. In this kingdom, the humble, the poor in spirit, the ones who recognize how badly they're in need of God, they find themselves in. Those who are convinced how great they are, they find themselves out. Later in Matthew's gospel, this still kind of stuns me, but he says to the chief priests and elders, you know, the people who look like they've got it all together on the outside, you know tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. That's insane. That makes no sense. That is so backwards. Jesus is congratulating the people that should be pitied. He's calling the world's rejects blessed. And, and please do not hear a patronizing voice. Please do not hear, a, well, aren't you precious? God bless you. That's not Jesus' voice. It's not a patronizing voice. It's a, no, God bless you. You are the kind of people that rule. See, God sees you differently than the world sees you. You know, think about words in your own life. Think about maybe words you've heard as a child, words you heard later on, and how those shaped your identity and your sense of worth. Imagine if the message you've gotten in your life again and again from the people around you is that you are a failure. Imagine if, if when people see you, the first thing that comes to their mind is pity or scorn. You're a screw-up. You're a failure. You are not worthy of love. 
Imagine that voice going in your head again and again and again and constantly telling you that. Imagine how it would feel to have someone like Jesus, this miracle worker, this rabbi, come up and say, they got it wrong. You are seen by God. You are loved by God. You are blessed by God. Randy Harris writes, I'm convinced the world needs the blessing of God in order to practice the words of the Sermon on the Mount. Not have a blessed day. I'm talking about truly living under the powerful blessing of God, even in those times when you think you are anything but blessed. There are going to be moments in your life, there's going to be moments in my life, where you and I feel anything but blessed. Like maybe you're experiencing one of those moments right now. And as a disciple of Jesus, you're going to need that surprise congratulation, that surprise announcement that in the eyes of God, you are blessed You are seen, you are loved. It doesn't matter what society says because they're not the ones that determine reality. It's God. And in God's eyes, you are blessed. Okay, so if the first three Beatitudes are kind of this surprise announcement about these surprising people who are in the kingdom of God, I think the last six Beatitudes are more of a description of what kind of character is formed when those people set out to follow Jesus. Again, I don't think Jesus is giving commands here. I think Jesus is doing in these Beatitudes is he's describing when you submit to God, when you submit to your life to the rule of God, this is how you're transformed, okay? When you submit to God by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are transformed in a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. So this word righteousness, it's a little like blessed. It, it creates its challenges because it has more than one meaning. So it can mean righteousness as we think of uh, like following God's law, but it also can mean a just, uh, justice. Okay, so the thing that disciples hunger most for is not a bowl of Handel's ice cream, and I love Handel's ice cream. It's not pizza from the Mahoning Valley, and there's some decent pizza around here. What do are, what are disciples and Jesus hunger more than anything else for? They hunger for God and God's will with all one's heart, soul, mind, and strength. But they're also people who look around in their communities, looking around the world. They see the injustice of war. They see the injustice of the way wealth is spread out in the world. They see the injustice of systemic racism. They see the injustice of the destruction to the environment. And they long for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? Blessed are the merciful. All right, these are people who deep down know and have experienced the merciful love of God, not because they deserve it, but because that's who God is, and they are then able to extend that mercy out to others. They're compassionate. Blessed are the pure in heart. Okay, we're not talking about, in this, this case, we're not talking about moral purity. We're talking about people who are single-minded. Disciples of Jesus are people who are formed to people who have a single purpose in their life. They are totally focused on God and the pursuit of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Followers of Jesus are those who are made into those who, who recognize they're reconciled with God, and then they go out and they want to, they recognize that God is for peace and they want to be agents of reconciliation. Okay, they don't want to seek strife and war, they want to be peacemakers. And then Jesus ends this, uh, the Beatitudes, with this double blessing for those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So, I, again, we need to recognize Jesus is not giving a command to go out and get persecuted. Jesus is saying, if you follow after me, if you adopt this life, you you just don't be surprised if you end up suffering. You really should just kind of expect that. I think that's a good reminder. I 
I sense sometimes in our country there's this deep-seated fear that one day Christians will be persecuted. I don't even know if that's going to happen, but if it does, Jesus' word is, don't be surprised. That's what happens when you follow after Jesus. It's not fear, it's this is going to probably happen. Okay, so these are the kind of people that are formed when they set out to follow Jesus and they submit their lives fully to him. They're promised both a reward now, okay, the kingdom of heaven is now. Matthew's saying is the kingdom of God is replacing uh, heaven with, with, with God with heaven. The kingdom of God is yours now, but there's also going to be a reward in the future. And what, we, what I think we do, I think happy actually works pretty well here because we have this happy, 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 happy. And what I think we're getting here is a picture of the good life. Isn't that, isn't that kind of what we're all, if we're totally honest, seeking the good life? Your good life looks probably a little bit different than my good life, but I, I would guess we're all trying to seek after the good life. And here's what's striking to me. When I hold up Jesus' vision of the good life and my own vision of the good life, they have very little in common. Let me give you an example. I, this is, I've been gradu- I graduated almost 20 years ago, which is hard to believe from college. I went to school at a little Christian school out in West Texas, and, uh, and I was thinking, okay, what if I went back to my reunion, which is just here in a few weeks, and we were all gathered around. Who, who would we say has the blessed life? Who would we say has the good life, Okay. Uh, and this is kind of West Texas flavor, but I think you can probably see this in the general American dream. Uh, here's the good life in West Texas. You got a wife. You got kids. On the outside, your family looks perfect. You live in a nice house in a safe neighborhood. You have a success, successful career in Texas. Ideally, it's a, it's a businessman. You're well-respected and liked in your community. You drive a nice car, you go to Cowboys games, you eat at nice restaurants, you're a scratch golfer, you got good health, and you have total financial security. That's the good life. That's the blessed life. And my point is not to say, not to criticize my alma mater, or even to criticize necessarily these things. My point is, when you hold up that vision of the good life, if we're totally honest, it looks nothing like Jesus' vision of the good life. They have almost nothing in common. See, this makes me a little nervous because last week I heard this parable about a wise man and a foolish man, and and I want to be the wise man, right? I think we all want to be the wise man, but I'm recognizing if I actually pursue Jesus, I'm going to look foolish. I'm going to be the one that gets called the fool. And I think it'd be a fair question to ask at this point in the Beatitudes, who even lives this out? Who's poor in spirit? Who mourns? Who's meek? Who's persecuted? Who's considered blessed and all that? Let's think about it. Let's think about at least one person we know who has hungered and thirsted for God more than anything else, whose heart was pure and undivided, who humbled himself, took on the very nature of a servant, became obedient to death, who was merciful. As the people are killing him, he forgives them, who was a peacemaker who struck again and again and again, he refuses to strike back, who was crucified on a cross because of righteousness. It's Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of the Beatitudes. Jesus lived out the Beatitudes perfectly, and Jesus says, follow me. 
What does that mean for us as we're sitting up on this mountain? Where is this path going to take us? If that's Jesus and he says, follow me, where do we end up? Do we end up at a beach on the golf course, walled away in a secure community, or do we end up at the cross? Because as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, the community of the blessed is the community of the crucified. With them, with him, they lost everything. With him, they found everything. See, the community of Jesus finds itself at the cross where it has lost everything, but it's at the cross you realize you have gained the only thing that matters. You've gained everything. Who in their right mind follows Jesus down this path? Who in their right mind follows this guy in his vision of the good life? Only the one that knows they're secure in God's hands. Only the one who knows they are secure in God's love. Only when you know you are blessed. I'm convinced Jesus wants to lead us to the good life. I'm convinced Jesus wants us to flourish. I'm convinced Jesus wants us to have a life of blessing. But I'm also convinced that Jesus' vision of the good life looks usually almost nothing like our vision of the good life. And so I think what our task this week is, is to reflect, am I going to trust Jesus' vision of the good life? Just to kind of put it crassly, is Jesus smarter than I am? I think Jesus is a lot smarter than I am. And if I acknowledge that Jesus is a lot smarter than I am, and I acknowledge that Jesus actually understands reality better than I am, I'm going to get to the point where I think, you know what? I think Jesus actually understands the good life better than I do. Because again and again and again, I see in our world those who chase after society's vision of the good life, and they sure don't end up in anything that looks like the good life. But I've seen people who chase after Jesus' vision of the good life, and they find what we're looking for, security, love, acceptance, trust. Before you and I can move forward in this sermon, we've got to receive a blessing from God. Because we're embarking on a quest that, to be honest with you, looks pretty foolish from the outside. If we're going to embark on this quest to actually do what Jesus said, we're going to need God's insurance. We're going to need God's assurance that even if it looks foolish to the world, in God's eyes, it's a blessing. We're going to need God's love. We're going to need to be totally secure in God's love for us to take the risks that are involved in following Jesus. And we're going to need a blessing from God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the nature of your kingdom. I thank you that your kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. That when you show up, you announce congratulations and a blessing to those that society finds pitiful. Thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is different. Thank you that you have invited us to follow you on the way that leads to the good life. For honest, Lord, we... We often want to seek a different path and a different good life. I just ask that you would give us trust and assurance that you really do have our best interest in mind. That as we set out on this journey, you will be faithful to us. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.